0: and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa.
1: Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you?
0: I'm doing well this week. How are you?
1: Doing pretty good. We're just finishing up summer around these parts and getting ready to get into school, and I think we said that last week, but the pressure is mounting more and more every week, so that's where I'm at.
0: (laughs) It is. I know. It's so hard to believe, although... I don't think you can say summer is ending. We have a lot of summer left here in Central Florida. So
1: we've got to like mid-November of summer. So yeah. we, we, <laughs> we've got a ways to go.
0: But school, it is almost back to school time. Right. So that's exciting, right? Are you excited?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited and totally prepared. This isn't going to be difficult at all. Yes, we'll get it though. We'll figure it out.
0: All right. So this week's story is super, super fascinating, but this is one of those ones where you're going to want to get out your pen and paper and probably take notes because there's so many names in this story. And I know we've said that before, but this time I really mean it. There are so many people involved in this story. It's a little bit hard to keep track, but hopefully we will tell the story in the least confusing way possible.
1: Well, actually, that's <laughs> hilarious because we will find a way to make it very confusing. Your notes are beautiful and make total sense, but I feel like the interjections is where it's really going to be complicated to keep people on the right track. But we'll do it. We'll do it. I believe in us.
0: We can. We can do it. So the story this week is coming out of Piketon, Ohio. And Melissa, have you Googled Piketon, Ohio?
1: Mandy, I have. And there wasn't a lot of information, but here is what I did find. Piketon, as you learn in the story, is really a very small area with just over about 2,100 residents. So I wasn't able to find a, a whole lot, meaning like basically nothing except for square mileage. So I went out to the next biggest city, which is Cincinnati. Cincinnati is actually the first major inland city in the country and was commonly referred to as the Paris of America because of its ambitious architectural projects like the Music Hall and Cincinnati Hotel. Paris of America? So fancy. <laughs> so Cincinnati's been called, and here's where it gets less fancy, the chili capital of America and even the world because it has more chili restaurants per capita than any other city in the nation or world. Hold on. So not chilies, but chili. No, 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 like exactly. Chili. <laughs> I didn't know there was even, I have to be honest, one chili restaurant. We're not talking chilies that Pam Beasley got kicked out of. We're talking about actual restaurants that serve chili As like a main course. I would be so
0: down for that.
1: Right? It sounds amazing. So they have a famous chain restaurant there called Skyline Chili. Well, now that I'm saying it back to myself, if it's a chain, there's definitely more than one. They serve up their signature brand of chili, which is really thinner and sweeter, and some of them include nutmeg, allspice, cinnamon, or even chocolate.
0: I have heard of people putting cinnamon... And I have two chili. I've done it once I didn't like it. I probably put too much.
1: I don't know. I'm terrible with spices. One time it called something called this was very early in my marriage. It called for curry and like mayonnaise and I didn't have curry and so my next logical thought was cinnamon and it did not <laughs> <laughs> My husband always talks about the time I tried to make Indian food and added cinnamon. It was terrible. But we were married not very long, so we kind of went along with it. So, Cincinnatians, which is what they are called and it's not a mouthful at all, eat over 2 million pounds of chili each year. I feel like I could do pretty well in Cincinnati. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Except,
0: I think, don't they put it on pasta?
1: You wouldn't like that. Oh, no. That's where you'd lose me. But I could do it every other way except for pasta or with coffee. I would be over all of that. And lastly, in 1850, Cincinnati became the first U.S. city to publish greeting cards. And in honor of this, Mandy, I present to you the three worst greeting cards Mandy could ever receive. (laughs) Number three, congratulations, your child has been accepted to Florida State University. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, this one's a condolence card. This one is, sorry your meme about Chipotle got downvoted by 100 people that's a reddit joke for you thank you (laughs) stacy the third mom for helping me with that one i was like i have to get a reddit joke and lastly number one the number one worst card that mandy could ever receive is get well soon card and the inside would just read feel better soon who knew you could develop an allergy to chickens at your age
0: oh no (laughs) (laughs) i love those there you go i mean they're terrible but i love them So as Melissa just got done explaining, Pikedon is an extremely rural and small, small village. It is very, very close-knit community, and it's really the kind of place where outsiders aren't exactly welcomed with a warm hug or they're really not welcome at all. The people who have lived there have lived there for generations, really. They have just laid down their roots there, and that's where they stay. There's lots of farming in the area. There's lumber and sawmills, and the village's economy kind of, has its highs and lows, it swings a little bit, and usually have a very high unemployment rate. So some people will move away and others will stay because, as I said, that's where their home is. That's where their roots are. One of the well-known families in Pikedon was the Roden family. They were relatively new to the village, with the first Rodens moving to Pikedon a little more than 50 years ago and producing eight children. When the Roden patriarch died, each of his eight children got an equal share of the property that was owned by the family. Some of the siblings moved away while others stayed put. One of the siblings that stayed in Piketon was Chris Roden. He settled down with Dana Manley in 1994 and the couple built a nice small town life producing three children of their own named Frankie, Chris Jr., and Hannah. Chris Sr. was resourceful and provided for his family by working construction jobs and also flipping cars when the construction work was slow. Dana was a very nurturing and kind nursing assistant at a local nursing home. And she was really this kind of woman that everyone described as just being the mother, the mother of the group. So whenever her kids' friends would come over, you know, she would mother them and, you know, it was just fun to hang out with. And I think growing up, everybody has a friend whose parents were just like not the cool parents, but they were just the ones who they were always, they would give you stuff. They would give you food. They'd give you. You know, they would be there to oh, talk yeah. to you if you needed someone to talk to. So that was that was Dana and Chris Sr. That was what how they were. That's they were known around town as kind of being everybody's parent, everybody's best friend. So Chris and Dana eventually grew apart and they eventually got divorced in 2007, but they remained close and they maintained a co-parenting relationship for their three kids. After the split from Dana, Chris Roden Sr. shared a home with his cousin named Gary, while Dana and the kids moved into another home that was also on the Roden property. As I mentioned before, they have a lot of land this family has owned for years and years. So there's many different, it's not just one house on a property. There's lots of different homes that are on property that is owned by the Roden family. At the time of this story, Chris and Dana's children were mostly grown up. Frankie was 20, and he loved to be outdoors hunting or fishing, and loved to hang with his friends and family. He was also very popular among the girls, who were attracted to his handsome looks and his mischievous personality. Frankie was also big into demolition derby and loved cars in general, which was a passion that he shared with his 16-year-old brother, Chris Roden Jr. Chris Jr. was affectionately known as Little Chris, and he was full of personality and really was not bothered by what anyone's opinion of him was. He had a tight-knit circle of friends that he loved to drive around since he was the first to get his driver's license. He just seemed like a really happy-go-lucky kid. Chris Jr. was rugged and lived in jeans, boots, and a camo jacket. He was just really like what you would expect of of a country boy who grew up living this country living life. Dana and Chris Sr. also had one daughter named Hannah Roden who aspired to be a nurse just like her mom. She became a mother to a daughter named Sophia when she was just 17 years old, but she loved being a mom and she absolutely doted on her little girl. Sophia's father was a boy named Jake Wagner, who was from another well-known family in the community, and even though their relationship did not work out, they shared custody of the child and these two families stayed very closely knit.
1: As Mandy mentioned earlier in the story, there were many members and extended members of the Roden family living in Piketon. Some that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the story, but the Rodens were also very close with Dana's family, the Manleys. So Chris and Dana were married, and her side of the family was also close. My dad has this kind of in his family in this one area in Georgia. Everybody lives on the same road or like the same property. I could totally picture this. My dad's sister, and then her husband's family. So it's like these two sides of the family, everyone's completely close and always has been. And you kind of don't know who you're related to, which gets a little confusing (laughs) after a while. So these families literally worked and lived together and they almost had their own little commune. And it wasn't uncommon for anyone to show up at each other's houses and help out with chores and other daily tasks. But on April 22nd, 2016, this rural community was changed forever when a horrifying crime was discovered in the early morning hours. Bobby Joe Manley, who was Dana Roden's sister, headed over to the trailer where Chris Roden Sr. lived with his cousin Gary. She was there on a routine visit to feed the animals, including chickens and several dogs that lived on the property. When Bobby Joe arrived around 7 o'clock that morning, she realized that the dogs were nowhere to be found, and when she knocked on the door of the trailer and got no answer, she proceeded to use a key to let herself in. And that's when she realized that something terrible had happened overnight. Both Chris Roden senior and his cousin Gary were found lifeless inside the home. Bobby Joe was shocked and horrified at what she was seeing and she ran from the home to another trailer on the Roden property where Frankie Roden and his fiance Hannah Gilly lived with their 6-month-old son. So Frankie is Chris and Dana's son, one of her one of their sons. And right. Hannah is his girlfriend, right?
0: Right. Yeah, it gets it gets a little bit confusing because there's actually two Hannah's in the story. So there's Hannah Roden, who was the daughter of Dana and Chris Sr. And then Hannah Gilley is Frankie Roden's fiance. So I know that's a little bit confusing just because they have the same name. But yeah, Hannah Gilly was with her fiance, Frankie Roden, at their at their trailer.
1: And then one tragedy turned into a terrifying nightmare when Bobby Joe discovered that both Frankie and Hannah had also been shot to death in their home with the baby left completely unharmed, which is amazing because, you know, that's like when you find out there's a baby there, you think, oh my gosh, everybody's gone. At this point, a very distraught Bobby Joe called 911 and deputies quickly rushed to the road and property. In the meantime, Bobby Joe called her brother, James Manley, to tell him what she had discovered and to have him go to Dana's home to check on her and to give her the heartbreaking news that her ex-husband as well as her son and daughter-in-law had been killed. But that's when things got even worse for these families. When James arrived at Dana's home, where she lived with her daughter, Hannah, he discovered that the two of them had also been murdered sometime in the night. Hannah, who we mentioned was a mother to a two-year-old daughter named Sophia, had just given birth to a second child. The four-day-old newborn was unharmed. That is so heartbreaking. It is. It is. Her two-year-old Sophia was actually with her father at that time. Six different family members of the same family had all been executed in their beds all at three different locations. So clearly there's something there's something going on. You don't just, it's not six people in the same house. Somebody knows where these people live and it, this seems very targeted at this point. So a crime of this magnitude was truly baffling to local authorities, not to mention bizarre. It was clear that this crime was very well thought out, well-planned and well-executed and that whoever was responsible must have had a strong motive, as I was saying, to want so many members of the Roden family dead.
0: Almost immediately, the local police knew that they were in way over their heads with this case. This community rarely dealt with any kind of violent crime, let alone the massacre of several members of one family. Word traveled very fast, and in just a few hours, the story had made its way to Cincinnati, and then it took off and spread like wildfire. Within hours of discovering the bodies, the entire road property was blocked off, and there were scores of investigators and media crews on the scene. So far, the confirmed victims in the murders were Chris Roden Sr., his ex-wife Dana, their 19-year-old daughter Hannah, their 20-year-old son Frankie, and his fiance Hannah Gilley, and Chris Sr.'s cousin Gary Roden. Police quickly realized that Chris and Dana's youngest son, Chris Jr., had not been accounted for, and of course, there was some speculation in the very beginning that he could have somehow been involved in, in this murder. It became their top priority to locate the teen boy and question him. As the morning went on, word of the murders spread through the community. The Roden family had attended church at Union Hill Church for years, and their pastor arrived at the scene to speak with investigators. He told them that this family was very well known and was very well loved throughout the county and that people loved being around them. He also said that he did not believe for one second that little Chris had anything to do with the murders of his family. Just as investigators were settling in at the three known crime scenes, another 911 call came in, and it was a man stating that he had found his cousin, Kenneth Roden, dead with a gunshot wound at his home, which was miles away from where these other six murders had taken place. A short time later, a police search resulted in locating Chris Roden Jr., but unfortunately, he was moved from the suspect list to the victim list when he was found to have also been shot to death. He was the final victim of a horrific mass murder that had wiped out nearly an entire family in one night. And we're going to get into a lot more details of this story after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors.
1: Have you ever sent a late birthday card? It stinks, right? You have all good intentions but the execution is a total failure and now you have to add extra cash to the card because you can't be both late and cheap. A lot of times my tardiness comes because I simply don't have any stamps on hand. Or I have a small gift to add but now I need to weigh it and find out how much it even costs to send. The idea of driving my kids to the post office and back, all while having them ask to stop for ice cream at every McDonald's we pass makes me crazy. Thanks to Stamps.com, that's a thing of the past.
0: We know a lot of you have small businesses and you're sending invoices or shipping product, and Stamps.com can help you do all of that, all from the privacy of your own home. Simply use your home computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it, even international. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you even get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail.
1: Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Moms & Murder. That's Stamps.com and enter Moms & Murder. Our kids start back to school in just two weeks, which means this summer is coming to an end. And fall, beautiful fall is on its way. And before we hear the first order of pumpkin spice latte at our favorite coffee shops, we will be getting ready for fall the best way we know how, by signing up for the 2019 FabFitFun Fall Box that's now on presale. Melissa and I have gotten several FabFitFun
0: boxes this year, and we are both blown away with each and every one. If you aren't familiar with FabFitFun, it's a women's lifestyle subscription box that is filled with full-size premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and tech products that are sent straight to your doorstep each season. Some of the products everyone will receive, but some of the items are customizable, so you can curate the perfect box for you. But really, there are no wrong products. Everything I've received from FabFitFun has been things I've either tried before and loved or wanted to
1: try and now I love. Opening the boxes is close to Christmas morning that a mom will ever get. The last box I opened had wish exfoliating foot mask. You guys know I hate feet, but if I'm going to be stuck with them, they are going to be soft. I love this product so much and can't wait to see what the FabFitFun Fall Box has in store for me. Spoilers for the Fall Box include the Skin & Co. Roma Truffle Therapy Face Toner.
0: The FabFitFun Box retails for 49 dollars but it always has a value of over $200. And when you use our coupon code MOMS, you get $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com. Again, for $10 off your first box, use our coupon code MOMS at fabfitfun.com.
1: And now back to the episode. So in this small town where violent crime is virtually unheard of, the murder of eight people at four different crime scenes was a massive undertaking for the Pike County Sheriff's Office. The sheriff quickly realized that there was no way that he had the manpower or resources to tackle an investigation this massive on his own, and he called in help from multiple other agencies. Mandy and I were just kind of talking about this off mic, how smart this was and how this could have really been a disaster had they taken this on their own, just like Hate to say a pride thing, but you know, not wanting to involve other offices. And we've heard of that before where really some, somebody should have called in the FBI, somebody else, and they don't. And really the investigation suffers for it. So I was pretty impressed that the Pike County Sheriff's Office right away was like, let's get other people involved in this. Yeah, for sure. There was a huge media circus surrounding this case, and reporters were like vultures trying to get the story and to be the first to release new information. Students were being harassed at the high school where Chris Jr. attended. And since these murders were executed so well, there was really no evidence left at the crime scene, and nobody that was questioned had any idea who would want to hurt this family. This, of course, leaves the door open for lots of speculation and rumors. Police received over 1,000 tips, including one about a recent road rage incident, as well as tips that Chris Jr. was being threatened and harassed on Facebook, but none of the tips turned into solid leads. While searching the Roden properties, investigators located several roosters and cages that they determined to be consistent with cockfighting and wondered whether or not that had anything to do with the murders. Another theory that was heavily investigated was the possibility that the Roden family was involved in a major marijuana growing and selling operation. It was announced just two days after the murders that three of the Roden properties were found to have large amounts of marijuana growing on them, enough that the sheriff called it commercial in scale.
0: Friends and neighbors of the Rodens were extremely surprised to learn about the rodents pot growing operation. And this was really because none of the family members had ever been in trouble with the police for anything drug related. And only one of them even had anything on their records at all, which was Frankie Roden. And he had an assault charge after a fight where he had punched somebody. People in the town had no idea that this family was into growing marijuana. And they were shocked to learn that there was over half a million dollars worth of it growing on their property. Large pot-growing operations were not something new to Pike County, however. In 2012, police uncovered a very sophisticated 1,200-plant marijuana grow site in Pike County that was suspected to be tied to a Mexican drug cartel. The Pike County Sheriff, Charles Reeder, was well-known for his efforts to crack down on drugs, and he was also involved in the interception of 28 pounds of marijuana, which was allegedly headed for a THC extraction lab. So the theory that they had was that the rodents may have been working with a drug cartel and could have run into some troubled waters, which led to their executions. Even though this seemed like a pretty promising lead, there were still some characteristics of the murders that didn't quite fit the typical MO of a cartel hit. Since there were three children that were spared on the night of the murders, they were Hannah Roden's four day old baby, Frankie Roden's toddler son, as well as the six month old son that he had with his fiancee, Hannah Gilly. Because these children were left unharmed, police felt that the killer had some kind of moral compass and that a cartel killing would have ended with everybody in the house being dead, whether they were children or not. Another thing that police were hung up on was the fact that the killer or killers had managed to make it past the Roden security cameras and past their numerous dogs that they all had which lends itself to the idea that the murders were committed by somebody that was pretty well known to the Roden family. So the cartel theory was set aside for the time being, and police focused on other leads, most of which were just a lot more dead ends. The police were really stumped and still kind of at square one with this investigation, so they decided to take it back to the basics and interview the other family members. Since Bobby Jo Manley was the one who discovered the first bodies, she was questioned and put under a microscope. They really wanted to know, you know, what was she doing there at her brother-in-law's trailer? Was her 911 call sincere or was she kind of putting on an act? So Bobby Joe's parents, who of course are also Dana's parents, and you know, they've lost their daughter, they've lost their grandchildren, their names are Judy and Leonard Manley, and they were really upset that the police were even looking into family members as potential suspects. Bobby Joe eventually agreed to take a polygraph to clear her name, and once her results came in, the police agreed that she really did not have anything to do with the murder. She passed all the tests that they gave her. The next person they focused their attention on was James Manley, who also showed up at the crime scene. We mentioned that this is Dana Roden's brother, who is the one who found her and his niece, Hannah. So the investigators were desperate at this point to find answers, and they secretly put a GPS tracking device on James's truck and followed him. And one day, while James was working on his truck, he found the tracker and he removed it from his vehicle, which ended up landing him in quite a bit of trouble. He was actually charged with two felonies over that. One was a count of tampering with evidence and there was one count of vandalism because he actually destroyed this tracker, which I know people can say whatever they want to say. But I mean, I guess if you're in the middle of this murder investigation and you're very closely connected with the victim's. If you find a tracker on your car, of course you're going to know that the police put it there. But also if I find something like that on my car, I'm taking it off. Like, <laughs> you yeah, know, nobody nobody asked if they could put it on there. I didn't know it was there. Like I'm I would do the same thing.
1: Honestly, I would take it off. Here's the thing. Here's a surprising turn of events. I think I might take it off too, or at least I would consider it because yeah, I would I I wouldn't even know it was a tracker to be totally honest. I would have thought something magnetized and got attached to my car <laughs> and I needed to get it off. But I guess it makes sense. I mean, they had a warrant to put it on there, so obviously a judge thought there was enough evidence or, you know, enough whatever. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But you see what I'm saying? Right. But still, yeah, no. I I can see. I, I it's amazing that you could get a felony for that. That's that's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. So as we said already, this was an absolutely huge investigation, and I read in one article that this was actually the largest investigation that the whole state of Ohio has ever seen. wow. They were really, really grasping at straws, trying to put the pieces together and figure out who committed this crime. In an effort to preserve the crime scenes, which were mostly trailer homes, police actually moved them to a warehouse for storing where they could comb through them thoroughly, Months passed, and police still had no answers or suspects, despite their very, very detailed investigation. In July of 2016, about three months after the murders, the inquirer sued the Pike County Coroner's Office for the autopsy reports on the victims. So the coroner had allegedly done a press release that stated that all eight of the autopsy reports had been completed, but he denied any media requests for copies, and he claimed that they were confidential law enforcement investigatory records. The inquirer disagreed and said that autopsy reports are public records. So the case actually made it all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court, and eventually the coroner released heavily redacted
1: versions of the reports to the media. The public soon learned the horrifying truth that Christopher Roden Sr. was likely awake and trying to fight off the attack before he was shot nine times in total, the most of any of the victims. Hannah Gilley, the report said, was shot five times. Life around Piketon slowly returned to normal, but the remaining members of the Roden, Manley, and Gilly families were left without closure or justice for the family that they had lost. The local church where the Rodens attended held a memorial on the one-year anniversary, and suddenly there was really a little bit of renewed media attention on the case. And you see that a lot, where they do these memorial things, obviously for a memorial, but it does generate new interest in the case. People are talking about it. It's back in the news, and sometimes this can be really helpful. About three weeks after the anniversary, there was a new buzz around town. Dozens of law enforcement agents swarmed a 71-acre farm in Peoples, Ohio, and announced that it was in connection with the Roden murder investigation. The farm had been sold several months prior, but was previously owned by a man named Billy Wagner and his wife Angela. A separate search warrant was executed on another property owned by the Wagner family, but the warrants were sealed and police weren't talking about what they found in their searches. The Wagner family, much like the Rodens, were very well known around Pikedon, except they were really more a well-to-do family and had a reputation of being wealthy and also giving to others. The matriarch of the Wagner family was Billy's mother, Frederica, whose claim to fame was the $4 million worth of property she owned. It was actually 1,700 acres of land. Frederica also owned a 300-acre horse farm, which raised special breed horses, and she sold them for profit. Frederica was like everyone's mom or grandma and even had the kids from church over every Sunday and Thursday for a meal. It's possible that Bill Wagner and Chris Roden Sr. had some sour dealings that could have led to the massacre, but police thought that a different Wagner had a more important connection to the Rodens. Jake Wagner, who was the son of Billy and Angela, was the father of Hannah Roden's oldest daughter, Sophia. Hannah Roden was the woman with a four-day-old newborn at home when she was killed, and her daughter, Sophia, was with the father, Jake. But Jake was not the father of this newborn baby. Police began to zero in on the Wagner family and really started to look at all of them under a microscope. They wondered if there was a deeper resentment between Jake and Hannah over the custody of Sophia. They learned that Jake and Hannah had been in a serious relationship, but eventually they went their separate ways and had shared custody of the child. But just as the heat was turning up on the Wagners, they made a shockingly suspicious move all the way to Alaska. Of course, this move came as a bit of a shock to those in the community. And as we were talking about before, people really don't leave Piked in. They just don't pack up and go. But the Wagners claim that they had already been planning this move to Alaska for some time and that since Sophia was getting older, they didn't want her to be raised where she would constantly be hearing about the terrible thing that happened to her mom and family. Makes a lot of sense. Like, that's going to be around you all the time. But at this point, everyone's suspicious of the Wagners and things were about to get even more stressful for them as the investigation continues. And we will be right back to talk more about that after one last break from this week's sponsors. Migraines are quite literally the worst. When I have a migraine, I have a hard time doing anything, including eating. And when I'm not eating, I am not happy. Luckily, Cove is there to help me. Cove allows you to begin treating your migraines from home. To begin with, I had a simple consultation where a doctor reviewed my symptoms and determined the best course of treatment for me. My personalized supply of medication was delivered right to my door. And since Cove knows that migraines are personal, each treatment plan is as well. After the consultation, the doctor created and tailored an individual course of treatment meant just for me. And a few weeks after I began treatment, Cove reached out to me through their secured patient portal to see how I was feeling. Leaving the house to talk about migraines can feel like a migraine in itself. Cove makes it easy to treat your migraines.
0: With Cove, no medical insurance is necessary. You can sign up for Cove and receive your first month of medication for free. A doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in the state you live in will be the one who prescribes your monthly medication and oversees your progress. And all migraine medication prescribed by Cove's doctors is FDA approved. If you suffer from migraine headaches, the last thing you need is to wait to see a doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, get your first month of medication for free. Visit w-i-t-h-c-o-v-e dot com slash momsandmurder. Again, if you suffer from migraine headaches, the last thing you need is to wait to see a doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, get your first month of medication for free. Visit withcove.com slash momsandmurder. You guys know we are huge fans of Poshmark and have been shopping with them for a little over a year. While we still have some warm weather ahead of us, I can still pick up sundresses, shorts, or even a coat for the next time I'm up north visiting my family, or really any number of lightly used or even brand new items with
1: tags on Poshmark. We love Poshmark because instead of buying things new, you can shop for millions of closets across America. You can download the free Poshmark app and find women, kids, and men's clothing and accessories. The app is super easy to download and use. My only issue is that I actually find too many things that I want to buy, but the good news is that Poshmark is so affordable that I can get brands like Lululemon, Nike, Louis Vuitton for up to 70% off. I've never owned a nice pair of dress shoes, and I decided to buy a pair of blue velvet shoes from Nine West on Poshmark, and I am still obsessed with them six months later.
0: With Poshmark, you can also sell your closet. Poshmark is easy for the seller and the buyer. Make some cash while also freeing up some room in your closet for more pieces from Poshmark. Download the app today. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. And now, back to the episode. So before we took the last break there, we talked about how Billy and Angela Wagner, along with their sons, Jake and George and Jake's daughter, Sophia, packed up everything they owned into a truck and a horse trailer and drove from Ohio to Kenai, Alaska, where they lived in a double wide trailer in a pretty remote location outside of town. The Wagner family kept a pretty low profile in their new home in Alaska. They registered to vote, they applied for hunting and fishing licenses, and they paid minor fees for things like speeding and failure to have enough life jackets on board a boat. But after less than a year of living in Alaska, the Wagners randomly decided to return to Piketon, where the murder investigation had been going full speed ahead since the day they had left
1: and they had and they had sold their property there, right? Like they it wasn't like yeah. they were renting it out and came back. They had sold it, did something new in Alaska and then decided to come back.
0: Yeah. They had sold their home, but Frederica, the grandmother in the family, she had the big horse farm in the 1700 right. acres and stuff. So, I'm sure they still had somewhere to come back to. You know, they were a very well-known family in yeah. Piketon. Surely they could just come back, but yeah, it does seem It does seem a little weird that they had sold their own personal property and and then just came back just a year later. Yeah. Yeah. When they returned, it was just shortly after the second anniversary of the Roden family slayings and their return to town really caused things to heat up. We said that that kind of happened after the one year anniversary as well. So they really chose a bad time to come back if they were trying to avoid any of this that's going on at that time. Investigators returned to the Wagner property and conducted a search of the well in which they found, quote, an item. They did not release what information about what this item was to begin with, but they'd said that they did pull an item from a well that was on the Wagner family property. On November 13th, 2018, Billy, Angela and their sons, Jake and George, were suddenly arrested Billy was picked up in Kentucky while Angela and her sons were arrested in Ohio. And all four were being charged with eight counts of capital murder. So this was really quite a shock to everybody because they they knew that the police were looking into the Wagners. They knew that they had made some visits and served some search warrants on these properties. But the police were very tight-lipped about what they were doing or what they had found, if they had found anything. So these arrests were really... They came as quite a shock. And especially from the Wagner family, who is known around town for their generosity and their, you know, their wealth and their very popular family in town. Everybody was shocked.
1: And being this husband, wife, and their sons. Like that's a that's a combination you don't hear all the time. Like all of them being involved in something like this. I remember seeing this and seeing it was like a mother and, you know, father and stuff. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, what on earth happened here? How on earth did these people get involved?
0: Right. So little did anyone know, but investigators had been focused on the Wagners for really quite some time. Police had received over 1,100 tips, conducted 500 interviews, tested 700 pieces of evidence, and served over 200 search warrants in connection to this case. They learned through all of that that Angela had purchased specific types of shoes, ammunition, a magazine clip, and numerous materials used to build a homemade gun silencer, which happens to be what the item was that was retrieved from the well. They actually made a gun silencer out of parts that they took out of a lawnmower. So this was all like a homemade thing. Yeah. Yeah. Angela also purchased what's called brass catchers, which is a tool that goes on a gun and it
1: catches the shell casings so that they don't fly all over the all over the place. Here's a question I don't want to give to murderers. Why don't more people use that? That seemed like, I, how often do yeah. we hear like, and a shell casing was found, and a shell casing was found.
0: Two additional members of the Wagner family were also arrested in connection with this case. Both Billy and Angela's mothers, the grandmothers of this family, were also arrested. Frederica Wagner, who was 76 years old at this time, was arrested and charged with obstruction of justice, and she was accused of lying to cover up the crime and to protect her family. Angela's mom, Rita Newcomb, who was 65, was charged with forgery after it came to light that she had falsified documents pertaining to the custody of Sophia Wagner. Police learned that the custody battle over Sophia had been ongoing and began when Hannah Roden ended her relationship with Jake Wagner and got full custody of their daughter. According to the custody documents, Hannah was just 16 years old when she became pregnant with this little girl, while Jake, the father, was 20. In March 2015, Hannah ended their relationship and they lived separately, but they still maintained a casual romantic relationship as well as shared the parenting responsibilities for little Sophia. By September of 2015, the two had completely ended any romantic involvement, but Hannah had full-time custody of the little girl. Police believe that just four months later, the Wagner family began to carefully plan the execution of the Roden family after they became, in the police's words, they became obsessed with this custody battle. The logic behind murdering so many members of the family was that with all of them gone, custody of Sophia would be granted solely to Jake, which actually worked because six days after the massacre, Jake actually filed for custody of Sophia and it was granted. Sophia remained in the care of her father and the Wagner family for two years, traveling to Alaska and back. And she was with the Wagners until they were all arrested. And the little girl was sadly then placed into the care of child services. Billy, Angela, George, and Jake Wagner are all charged with eight counts of murder. Each member of the family waived their right to a speedy trial to give their defense teams enough time to prepare this defense. And I did read one source that said that they had waived time until July 31st, which When this episode comes out, that will be the next day. But they actually have set some of the trial dates, I found out. So Jake Wagner has a pre-trial hearing in the middle of September where he is going to find out the date of his murder trial. His brother George Wagner is going to go on trial on September 4th, and a date for Billy and Angela's trials has not been set. So the charges against Frederica Wagner ended up being dropped. I guess they didn't really have the evidence She was really being charged with, as we said, lying under oath and, you know, lying to protect her family. I guess her attorneys said that it was kind of one of those things where she didn't really know she was lying. The subject that she was lying about, it was like it wasn't intentional. So she ended up having her charges dropped. The other grandma, Rita Newcomb, is charged with three counts of forgery, perjury and obstructing justice and she has a pre-trial hearing on July 25th which is just in a couple of days it will have already happened by time you hear this her trial is currently scheduled for October 21st 2019 so this is a story that I will be following very closely for updates on on what is happening yeah
1: for sure and of course none of these trials have happened so this is all just alleged their alleged involvement we don't know you know nothing has actually happened they're innocent until proven guilty we want to get that out there but that's kind of where they are with the trials and and who is being accused at this point and the reasons they are being accused But what a sad 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 story i mean really yeah, that's, that's a lot of sad just- but
0: it's a lot of loss of life and especially within one family. Right. Uh, it's just devastating. It really is. And then you think of the kids that were involved, you know, that that survived. And, you know, you know, you're so thankful that the kids did survive, but oh my gosh. Yeah. The four-day old baby and the six month old and and now Sophia. I tried looking for information on Sophia, but that's another thing that the family is pretty tight lipped about they are not talking about where Sophia or the other kids are I assume that the other babies are with you know their other side of their families so yeah it's really really sad to even think about and I really do wish I knew what happened to Sophia and where she is now and who is she with but Hopefully she's with family now. I know she was with child services for a while. I found some sources that were as recent as like December, January, Mm -hmm. that said that she was still with child services. So I hope they found
1: some family for her. Yeah, for sure. This reminds me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the story. It was on Dateline a couple months ago. There was a guy who was married, who's married and separated, has a baby, and his wife becomes obsessed with getting custody, doesn't want him to have custody she gets her parents in on killing him. And so now all three of them are in jail. The one thing they wanted was this little girl and now they don't have the little girl. You know, just where you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, if this is truly what happened and this is all again, allegedly right now, but if this is truly what happened, nobody wins. So many people have died. So many people's lives are ruined. Your life's ruined. I just, I don't understand it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense logically to say... To go about the you know, to go about getting custody of your child in this manner for sure. Because if it doesn't work out, which most likely it's not going to, then your daughter's not gonna have anyone. Right. You know, her both sides of her family are just completely ruined. So right. it is really, really sad because of that. And of course because so many people lost their lives. But yeah, it's a very sad story, but really an interesting one.
1: Well, I'm so glad that they have, you know, that they're You know, they think they've caught the people that have done it, though, because I do remember whenever this first happened, because it's this huge thing that eight people in one family in Ohio have died. It was all in the news. And you just think, oh, my gosh, when they don't arrest somebody the next day, you think this isn't a good sign. You know, typically on these kind of big things, it's either they've catch them tomorrow or they don't catch them for 30 years. There's not a lot of, you know, people leave clues. And in this case, they've got all this. Whoever did this has all this, you know, ways to not get caught. And, you know, they they put forth a lot of effort into that. So anyway, this was, yeah, I'll be interested in hearing what happens in these trials for sure.
0: So we will update you guys as we see things. We'll share it on our social media and everything. So we are going to do a last thing before we go. But before we do that, we have a little bit of an announcement to make about last thing before we go. We announced this in our Facebook group, I think during our two year anniversary video thing that we did. Melissa and I have been talking, you know, we used to do I'm Invincible When way back in the beginning, and then we've been doing Lasting Before We Go for a while now, and it's always been just answering questions that you guys ask us, but I think you guys have asked us everything. I really do. (laughs) I think um, we're starting to get a lot of repeat questions that we've already answered, and I think we're getting questions that I just don't really feel comfortable answering on the show
1: sometimes. (laughs) I saw one that came through today, and I was like, nope, 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 nope. Thank you for trying.
0: So we are going to change. We're not going to do away with Lasting Before We Go because we love doing it. We get a lot of great feedback from Lasting Before We Go that you guys like it. So we don't want to do away with it completely. But I think doing Q&A stuff is probably going to come to an end. Maybe we'll do it every once in a while if we can get some really good questions that we think will be fun and interesting to answer. So Melissa, what are we going to be replacing the <laughs> Q&A section with? No
1: pressure. So we're going to keep it as Lasting Before We Go, as Mandy said, and we just kind of do rotating things. Currently, there's no rhyme or reason for the order we do it in. It's just going to be whatever comes up. So the idea is the same. It's the last thing before we go. The subjects might be different. Some ideas that we've had are doing Florida man things. We're from Florida. We feel entitled to be able to do some Florida Man stories. Not sure how we're going to do that yet, but that's one idea we've had. Another idea that came from Stacy, our third mom. She um, came up with the idea of doing the oh, – what are they called? Um the, the misconnections, yeah, misconnections from the town of the episode we're doing at the end. So that could be really fun. So we'll, we'll try and play around with that and we'll figure out something that works for us. So I'm going to put an email address in the show notes. I don't know what it is yet, so I'm going to create it and then I'll put it in the show notes. And (laughs) (laughs) this is my chance to like, I have to do it now. So, if you have any ideas or if you want to send in any Florida man stories or if you had any other ideas, just send it to us to that email address and just put last thing before we go in the subject line and we will go through them. And so next week, we're not sure exactly what we're going to do, but it's going to be fun and it's going to be light and we hope you enjoy it. And if not, we'll crash and burn and we'll change it to something else, but we'll figure it out. Thanks for being patient with us.
0: Yeah. So for this week, Last thing before we go, we actually did something a little special, and we asked our husbands to give us questions. So my husband has a question, and your husband has a question. Yes, Mandy,
1: what is your husband's question?
0: Okay, my husband wants to know, what is the personality trait that has gotten you in the most trouble?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that is uh, definitely directed towards you, (laughs) ma'am.
0: Well, he knows me very well, so so he knows my personality traits. He knows that I have some that get me in trouble. So, Melissa, what about
1: you, though? Ooh, let's see. Well, okay. Oh, this is kind of hard. I've got some negative ones for sure. I don't know how much trouble they get me into, cuz you don't get in trouble ever. Okay. <laughs> well, that's part of it, but then I lose a lot of friends because you hear this comment that you're making like that, that's because <laughs> I don't want to be in trouble. No, I probably I can be I can be passive in some things and then I will turn and I'm not passive anymore and I really, you know, kind of like freak out. So, I can be passive that sometimes can get me in trouble or I can be overly assertive and like I I do this a lot where I would rather do it myself because because I'm going to do it right. Like my kids can help me unload the dishes, but I'd rather do it myself because I'm going to do it right. And I don't think oh, that's yeah. controlling, but it turns out that's kind of controlling. So yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, no, I'm very casual. I'm just whatever goes, goes. But I'm not. I'm a control freak, but not in like a helpful way at all. So I feel like that probably gets me in trouble.
0: So I feel like the thing that gets me in trouble the most is... Probably that I have. I mean, I kind of have a short fuse, a little bit of a quick temper. I don't have tolerance for things like that irritate me. So I will go from like, oh, yeah, 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 everything's fine. And then as soon as I get irritated, I wear my irritation on my sleeve and like I just can't even hide it. I can't I can't fake it if I'm annoyed everybody around me is going to know that I'm annoyed. I am very vocal about it, but obviously that is a very negative personality trait that people don't like. I'm really nice and very friendly, but like, yeah, if something is really getting on my nerves, I mean, anything, it could be something simple, 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 like even like driving around and somebody is driving slow, or if I'm like behind, if I'm boxed in and like there's two cars in two different lanes, but they're going the same speed and I can't, I can't pass or do anything that those kind of situations, like I can just feel my blood boiling and then I get snippy and irritated and like, Like, don't try to talk to me while I'm trying to, like, figure that situation out. But that's an example. But that's how I get about, like, a lot of little, tiny irritation things. So it's not a great personality trait, but that's how I am. So
1: take it or leave it. (laughs) That sounds directed towards your husband and me. So whoops. (laughs) So my husband is a little lighter. And I was very upset with how quickly he came up with this one. He just asked what our celebrity crushes are. So, Mandy, do you have celebrity crushes? Who are your celebrity crushes?
0: Okay, I don't. And I don't mean that to be, like, oh judgmental Lord. towards people that do. I just don't understand people, regular people, getting, like, super
1: crushy over a celebrity. No. Or, like, you know, some. You I don't have know to be it's crushy. Just- <laughs> you can just say who is attractive. You've never seen a movie and thought that guy's hot. That's all this is saying.
0: I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of beautiful people in the world. Oh, my gosh. This is so annoying. <laughs>
1: Can you see that I'm wearing this on my sleeve, that you don't even have a freaking answer for this? (laughs) Mandy, name Uh, a person. Just name a person. (laughs) A celebrity? Yes, that's the whole point.
0: I don't know. I don't have any celebrity crushes. Genuinely, legitimately, I don't have any celebrity crushes.
1: My gosh, this is too much. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, you already know that like, I don't watch TV. So, like, I don't even have enough exposure to celebrities.
1: <laughs> I can't like them if I never see them. <laughs> is, is there anybody on Reddit? Are there celebrities on Reddit? Just me. Okay. I'm <laughs> you got downvoted, remember? <laughs> okay. So mine are Damian Lewis. He is the actor from um, – I have his name pulled up, Mandy. Don't worry. I didn't really remember his name. He was on Homeland, and he's a redhead. And then also I have Ed Sheeran. He's also a redhead. And No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was doing my husband feel better. He's a redhead. I have no redhead crushes, just my husband. So my actual (laughs) list is, this is really upsetting to me because one of them has gone really downhill. I love Freddie Prince Jr. from She's All That. You don't remember seeing that as a teenager and thinking he was so cute? I mean, yeah, I guess as a teenager, he was also in I Know What You Did Last Summer. He was like a big deal. I thought he was very cute. Yeah. So I would consider that a crush growing up. And then Chris Messina from The Mindy Project, he did a dance one time on that show. I don't know what happened. I immediately thought, that is a very attractive man. And I never thought he was attractive before. My husband knows all these. Last one is Val Kilmer. This one is the most upsetting because Val Kilmer several years ago. My favorite Val Kilmer was Val Kilmer in what was the call, The movie where he was blind at first sight? That movie was so great, and I loved him in that movie. So that would be my celebrity crushes. But really, if my husband asks, it's Ed Sheeran or some other redhead. I don't know. <laughs> Danny Bonaduce. <laughs> okay, now can you guys see why we want to stop doing these and how they're going yeah. downhill really fast? <laughs> okay, yeah, so we will have something else fun
0: next week. Uh, I guess everyone's going to be surprised, including us, at what it's going to be. Like Melissa said, we do have a couple of ideas. So if you have any ideas for something fun that we can do quickly at the end of the show, just take up a few extra minutes of your time. (laughs) <laughs> then just let us know. let us
1: know in the show notes there will be an email address who knows what it's going to be I have no idea what emails are available right now oh and before we go we are doing our patreon episode of the month it is going to be on the fire festival I can't believe we haven't talked about Yay. it yet one of my yeah. favorite moments in history I followed the hashtag while it was going on very exciting times in Twitter history so we will be doing that that's on patreon.com mom's murder podcast otherwise mandy we'll be back next week. yeah, we'll see you guys next week. bye.